First passage you want to get your Bibles open to, we'll go to in a little while, be Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. Before we begin our study, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for your people who have come out tonight. We pray that you would bless our time, make it profitable. Thank you for just everything we have and everything you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come tonight to our third study that we've called How to Study and Interpret the Bible. And as we said, this is a compilation of three disciplines combined into one study, which will methodically unravel these three different subjects, and we're merging them together in the next weeks, hermeneutics, Bible study methods, and exegesis. And we said you could call this hermegesis, Bible study methodology. I was taught these three courses about 40 years ago, and the man who headed that particular discipline or area of study was Mr. Bill Brew, and to him I owe a great debt. He was a great teacher, demanding teacher, but he was a great teacher. Now, this series is being downloaded online, and from the first two studies, we know that there are those following this from all over the country and all over the world We are having people follow this in 25 states and 10 different countries, United Kingdom, Singapore, India, Portugal, Turks and Caicos Islands, Egypt, Trinidad, Tobago, Taiwan, Australia, and Angola. So we have people that are actually tuning into this particular study. We'll continue to post our PDF notes online for those people, and when we give homework out, which we will down the road, we'll give you a chance to do some stuff. You don't have to if you don't want to do it, but we'll certainly give you opportunities. Those of you who are listening from out of state or out of country, contact us. We'll see that you get it. Now, the course that we're tackling here is going to take some time for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're combining three theological disciplines into one, and in school, we had 50-minute lectures. And for example, in hermeneutics, we met two times a week, 50-minute lectures for 15 weeks, and then In exegesis courses, we're meeting three times a week, 50-minute lectures, three times a week. So we're using a 30-minute lecture basically to teach you all of these things in the course of many, many, many weeks. So far, we've addressed two questions. Is there a biblical precedence for learning how to study and interpret the Bible? And we concluded there was. The second question was, is there a real need in church for learning how to study and interpret the Bible? And we concluded that there was a legitimate need. And may I say, before we get into tonight's study, that we have some great books have come in on Bible interpretation and study in the library. In fact, we have five that are in there now that we highly recommend. We're going to give you a bibliography list later in the study, not tonight, but we'll give you that, and those books are in the library if you want to read further. Now, the question we want to address tonight, the first question is, what's the goal of the study? Now, the goal of the study is not to replace the need for a church, and the goal of the study is not to replace a need for gifted people who can teach the scriptures, because there is nothing that will replace that. But there are some goals that we have for this study, and the first goal that we have for this study is to glorify God And I want you to add next to that this statement, to glorify God by accurately understanding and interpreting God's word. I want you to add that to the sentence. So the first purpose is we are to glorify God by accurately understanding and interpreting God's word. 
When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, we read, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this study certainly would be in line to agree with that statement. We're going to do this for the glory of God. And then when we read Psalm 138.2, we read, for you've magnified your word according to all your name. So we would suggest to you God wants his people understanding his word and magnifying their word and carefully, accurately understanding it. And when we do that, it glorifies God. Now, I want to take you to a text in Deuteronomy 29 because this is one of the passages that has been actually leveled against this kind of study. So I thought you ought to see the verse. And then if you see the whole verse, I think it contradicts what they're saying about it. But in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29, what we read is the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Now, there are some people who say that a study that goes into this kind of detail that we're going to go into is really beyond what we should do because the secret things belong to the Lord. And they take the position that serious, systematic organization and study is one of the secret things, and you can't really ever know the secret things of God. But that's not what that verse means. In fact, if you read the second half of the verse, but the things revealed belong to us. So that would just say the opposite. The things that God would want us to know, he's revealed in his word, and that is for us. So that would certainly motivate us to want to study those things and learn those things, and that would be to the glory of God. Then I want you to also go over to Proverbs 25, 2, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2. Because in Proverbs 25 and verse 2, we read these words. It is the glory of God to conceal the matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Now, it's the glory of God to conceal things. The glory of kings is to search them out. And I take that as also meaning it's true when it comes to the word of God. It's true when it comes to the word of God. It is a glorious thing to search out the truth and meaning of the word of God. So I would submit to you, based on that, that when we are realizing that the Word of God is a majestic, inspired Word that is at the same level of the name of God, and we are actually involved in learning how to study it accurately so that we can interpret it accurately, that is something that glorifies God. When we're after His truth, it glorifies God. So there's the first reason, or first goal of the study, to glorify God. Now, the second goal of the study is to gain true, deep knowledge of God. True, deep knowledge of God. I'd like you to go to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to point out to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which say this. In Ephesians 1, 16... Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, when you read a prayer like that, that Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers, it's pretty clear that God wants his people to have a knowledge upon knowledge level, a deep knowledge of him, not a surface knowledge, not a surface level knowledge. He wants us to have wisdom in the revelation of the knowledge of him in things that he's revealed. He wants us to have a deep level of knowledge about him according to the word of God. And to have that knowledge, 
that is at a depth level. We have to have knowledge of the written scriptures, and to gain that knowledge, we're going to have to study them. We're going to have to study them. And I want to make a statement about that. The greatest knowledge pursuit I think there is, is accurate knowledge of the Word of God. And if we're going to grow in knowledge of the Word of God, you're going to have to be willing to change your thinking. You just need to understand that. You're going to have to be willing to change your thinking. Because if you sit here and think, well, I know everything right now, I know everything, then you're not going to be able to change your mind and grow deeper because the whole part of growing deeper is you're changing your thinking. Back when I first went to school, I have a Bible that I have signed by some of the big names of Christianity because I would go hear them speak and I'd have them sign my Bible and I have it in my office. And in that Bible, in the early days of having that Bible, I said this. This is what I wrote. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. That's what I wrote. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And I wrote that at the time, and I was sincere about what I wrote at the time, but I would later come to understand some of the things that I thought were wrong. Now, I'm writing, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, and in the understanding level that I had of the scripture at the time, I meant that, and I still mean it to this day, by the way. But the fact of the matter is, when I wrote that statement, there were some things that I didn't understand, and there were some things that I didn't know, and I was very sincere about that, and most people are. Most people are very sincere about what they believe, but a lot of people lack knowledge. So you must be willing to conform and change thinking on things. I mean, every believer has the Spirit of God in him, every believer has the Spirit of God in her. And yet Christians differ. Why is that? Why do they have different views on things? If every believer has the Spirit of God, well, it comes basically down to grasping truth, understanding truth, understanding it at a deeper level. So when we are studying something or gaining tools that will help us to study something like the Word of God so we can gain a deep knowledge of God, that is something that is glorifying to the Lord. Cedric Johnson wrote a book called The Psychology of Biblical Interpretation. He said there are three basic reasons why there are differences among believers on different things. And that is, first of all, because there are different spiritual levels. And we'll talk about that down the road. There is an inadequate methods of interpretation. Most people don't know how to approach the scriptures to even interpret them accurately. But then he said... There's a refusal to change thinking to conform to truth. We don't want to ever be that way. We want to be people that are sensitive to truth, grow in truth, grow in knowledge, grow in grace. That's what we're after, and that's what hopefully this study will do. That's one of the goals. Now, a third goal of this study is to actually transform our minds. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And renewing of a mind, quite honestly, demands thinking. You have to think if you're going to renew your mind. Memorizing verses does not mean people understand verses. And there's nothing on this earth that will transform a mind and renew a mind like a careful study on how to accurately interpret and understand the Word of God. And real Bible study demands thinking with a mind. And you have to use your mind. A true course on how to study and interpret the Bible should cause a believer to become a careful thinker. 
Now I'm going to show you how serious the Apostle Paul was about how he looked at things in the scriptures. So I want to have you go to Galatians 3, 16 for just a minute. Just back up if you got your Bibles open to Ephesians. Go over to Galatians 3, 16. And then I also want you to get back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. Galatians 3.16 and Genesis chapter 22. I want to show you something from this text of Scripture. In Galatians 3.16, here's what we read from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. I want you to back up to Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, I want you to notice verse 17. In Genesis 22, 17, we read, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice." Now, what becomes pretty clear to me when you read Galatians and then you compare it to the text that Paul was reading, which is there in Genesis 22, is the Apostle Paul is actually noticing singular versus plural nouns. That's what he's doing. That's how serious he is about thinking through things. I mean, he's actually looking at the scriptures and he's going, is that noun seed plural or is that noun seed singular? He spots that in Genesis. When he is in Galatians, and he has this gospel that he's revealing in Galatians that he got directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, he realizes that noun seed is singular. It's not plural because that noun seed points to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you, that tells us something about the mind of Paul. He had a transformed mind. A mind that was thinking about things and analyzing things. And hopefully, in the course of this study, we'll give you opportunities to do the same kind of thing. Now, the fourth goal of this study is to give God's people the tools necessary so that there's a measure of spirit-produced independence in being able to see God's truth and know it is God's truth in what is being studied, taught, or preached. Now, just having the skills to study and interpret the Bible doesn't mean we can eliminate those that have special gifts of God to be able to teach it. We're not saying that. God does give gifts to the church. He gives gifted men to the church. They preach and teach the scriptures. These gifts are still needed. They'll always be needed for the equipping of the saints. But these skills that you'll learn in this study will enable you to spot those that are doing it and spot those that aren't doing it. And that's important that you can spot those that are telling truth. In 1 Corinthians 14, let's go there for just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Apostle Paul was talking about someone who had the gift of prophecy, and they were coming into the church and they were speaking with a gift that was operative at that time, which was a gift of prophecy. And what that gift was is a person got direct revelation from God about future things normally, but it could also be just forthtelling truth. They were getting direct messages from the Lord. 
the gift of prophecy ceased, but when it was operative, the gift of prophecy was operative, we read in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who's seated, the first one must keep silent. Now what that tells us is, if somebody were to speak in the church, the people were to listen carefully to what was being said, and they were to pass judgment on what was being said. Is that right or true? Is that accurate? I mean, they were to make some type of judgment. So to be able to do that, they would have to know something about what truth was. And he said there are people that are to pass judgment. Now, this kind of ability requires thinking and not just reading, memorizing, or feeling. And it's never too late, by the way, to start seriously thinking about God's word in this way. Clear thinking, I can tell you right now, clear thinking is detail-oriented. Clear thinking is fact-oriented. It doesn't play the game in the abstract. Clear thinking deals with facts. As I've said before, there's a statement that just makes me cringe when it says the devil's in the details. The devil's never in the details. God's in the details. God is very fact-oriented, very detail-oriented, very systematic in the way that he thinks. The devil doesn't want people knowing details. He wants them irrational and emotional. That's how he plays the game. When Paul and Silas went to Berea and opened up the word of God, we learned that those people were examining the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. So what we learn from that is that in Bible study, it carefully examines scriptures to determine the true meaning of what the text says. That's what Bible study is. You carefully examine the scripture to determine the true meaning of a text. And these were people at church, and here were Paul and Silas, and they're teaching these people at church, and they're carefully examining the scriptures to determine whether or not they were telling them the truth. So the goal of this study is to present God's people with some of the skills that they need so that they can come to a proper understanding and right interpretation of the word of God. It will glorify God in doing this. It will give God's knowledge, deep knowledge in doing this. It will transform your mind in doing this. And it will also give God's people some independence where they can go into a service and say, that guy is handling the word of God. It's accurate to the text or it's not. Now that brings us to the next question, how do people actually read the Bible? Now when anybody picks up a Bible, that person has made some type of decision to pick it up and read it for some reason. We don't necessarily know the reason or the motive, why they picked up the Bible to read it, but they obviously, if they pick up a Bible to read it, have made some sort of decision to do it. In fact, I think the Bible is probably the best book you can ever pick up and read, the truth is, but we don't necessarily know why every person picks it up. There are at least seven different ways that a person may read the Bible. Probably there are more, but we're citing seven here tonight. The first one is a person may read the Bible skeptically. Now, a skeptic may read the Bible, but the reason he's reading the Bible is for the goal and purpose of questioning everything that's in it. A skeptic is not interested in ascertaining truth. A skeptic is not interested in changing his mind or her mind about anything. Skeptics do read the Bible, but they're suspicious of it, and they're critical of it. Their goal for even reading is sinister. In fact, a skeptic might read the Bible or a couple of passages, and they read it to mock them. 
That's what a skeptic does. They read it looking for supposed contradictions or mistakes. And by the way, there are no contradictions or mistakes. There are no false statements in the Bible. You can know that. And if you are presented with something you can't seem to figure out at the time, don't give in. Just say, I don't know, but there's a reason for it. There's something here that I'm missing, but that doesn't mean the Bible contradicts itself because it doesn't. These kinds of people, they're looking for these contradictions or mistakes. They're looking at textual variants to try to build a case against the Bible. They're not after truth. They're not interested in coming to accurate conclusions at all. And a lot of people read the Bible skeptically. I read of a skeptic in London who read the Bible and said that it was almost impossible to believe any book whose authorship is not clearly known. Well, a Christian man was in the audience. He said, Do you know who the compiler of the multiplication table was? And the skeptic said, no. So the Christian said, then, of course, you don't believe in that. You don't believe in the multiplication table because you don't know who did it. Well, he said, yes, I believe in it because it works well. Well, the Christian said, so does the Bible. It works well. And that kind of silenced that particular skeptic. So a person can read the Bible skeptically. A person, secondly, can read the Bible casually casually. Now, in casual reading, one is not too concerned with technical matters of a text. Casual reading makes no attempt to actually dissect a text. If you're reading the Bible casually, you're not really sensitive to conjunctions and parsing verbs and understanding words and structure. In fact, casual reading is kind of reading that's done for pleasure, not scrutiny. And one can just read the Bible casually and not do a lot of thinking at all. I mean, quite honestly, casual reading doesn't require you to do a lot of thinking. You run your eyes over words on a page, and that's relatively easy to do. As we'll see, Bible study is not easy. When we get into the technicalities of this course, you'll discover that, boy, i got to do some thinking here. i got to do some analyzing here. I've got to do some work here. The Bible is one of the most interesting books one can read casually, but that's not the same as Bible study. Years ago, there was a famous general in the military who said he loved to read the war stories in the Bible. He said he found them fascinating. The stories in the Bible fascinate all ages of all people. I mean, even children love the stories in the Bible. One problem with reading the Bible casually, though, is that they're not really focused on the author's true meaning of the text. And let me just say this, reading the Bible casually is not the same as studying the Bible. It's not the same. And when we start giving you these tools that you can analyze passages in, you'll certainly realize that just reading the Bible is not the same as studying the Bible. Now, the third way that people read the Bibles, they read it devotionally. Now, a devotional reading of the Bible, you read the Bible with the idea, God's going to speak to my heart and mind. And many people pick up their Bibles and read it devotionally, realizing God does do that. God does speak to hearts and minds through his word. God truly does that. And you don't need tools or helps to read the Bible devotionally. It's a good thing to do, and probably all of us have done that in our lives. I have. I mean, for example, when you're going through a difficult, dark valley, many turn to the Psalms. I've done that with the idea of the fact that the Psalms are going to minister to our hearts, and it does. It does minister to our hearts. But picking up the Bible in search of a feeling in the heart is not Bible study. At the heart of Bible study is a deep search to accurately understand a biblical text, what it actually says and means. 
And some people have got so off track devotionally that they'll close their eyes, open a Bible, point to a verse with their finger, and read it, believing that God's going to speak to their hearts that way. Well, the problem with just reading the Bible devotionally is you may come to believe something or feel something that is inaccurate. Years ago, there was a minister who was touched by the story in the book of Exodus, and he led a group of people to a lake feeling that God would part the lake. Well, God didn't. He didn't part it. He got that from devotional reading of his Bible. How about that pastor in Zimbabwe, Africa, 2017? He's reading the scriptures about how Jesus walked on water, and he fasted and he prayed a whole week. The church was excited because he was going to go down and try to walk on water because it had spoken to his heart as he read the scriptures how Jesus was able to do that and Peter could do it when he got out of the boat for a short period of time. He goes down to the river, he's eaten by an alligator. I mean, it was devastating to people. Well, he read the Bible devotionally. That's where he got the idea. But the idea was wrong. He didn't really understand what that passage was all about when Jesus walked on water. Dr. Michael Heiser made a great observation on this point when he said, the goal of Bible study is not some spiritual buzz. Bible study is not about you. It's about gaining knowledge of God. And the Bible is not man's view of God. It's God's view of man and himself and everything else. If one is always reading the Bible devotionally to have his heart warmed, then how do you know that your heart's being warmed by the true meaning of the text? How do you know? And we'll point out some of these things as we go further and deeper into this study. But a person could read the Bible devotionally. And by the way, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying be careful when you're doing that. Now, a fourth way that people read the Bible is they read it historically. Many archaeological discoveries have occurred in various countries, such as Israel and Turkey, because scholars have read the Bible with historical locations in view. They read the Bible as a history book. And there are literal archaeological trips to this day that are taken to these parts of the world just to do historical archaeological work based on the Bible. One of the latest ones, one of the latest archaeological discoveries was made last year in 2021. Archaeologists were working near Jerusalem based on where they understood the Bible said the temple was, and they discovered an ancient wall that was five meters wide, 5.4 yards, that proved biblical accounts of Jerusalem was in fact a fortified city, and they realized the walls were there, like expressed in the Bible, and many were reading the Bible and basing their research on the fact that there were these historical things stated in Scripture. William Ramsey was one such man who read the Bible historically. He was an attorney who initially was an atheist. And he took the Bible to historically track Paul's journeys through Greece and Turkey. He'd been told by his professors that Luke's history in Acts was inaccurate and wasn't right, and Ramsey believed him. He specifically took the book of Acts, he went to Turkey and Greece, and he started tracking the record to see if the historical documentation was accurate in the Bible. He discovered the history was completely accurate. And because of him reading those things historically and tracking it down, he became a believer and one of the great defenders of biblical Christianity. But people do read the Bible just as a history book. 
Now, there's a fifth way people read the Bible. That's inquisitively, inquisitively. One may read the Bible to simply be inquisitive about what's in it or what it says. That doesn't mean one is really pursuing a relationship with God. And it doesn't mean one has a real focus on accurately interpreting and applying the scripture. But a key to proper interpretation is there is some inquisitiveness to it. And I'm going to say this, the key to proper interpretation is an inquisitiveness that asks the right questions. That is going to become critical. We'll go over that in depth in weeks to come. You have to ask the right questions about passages. Now, there's an interesting story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. When Herod heard from the Magi that the king of the Jews had been born, he gathered the chief priests and scribes together to have them research exactly where the Messiah was supposed to be born. Well, they went to the Old Testament book of Micah, and they determined that the scriptures said he would be born in Bethlehem. They simply went to the scriptures to inquire about facts. They were inquisitive of where did the Bible say that the Messiah was supposed to be born. And when they found that, they read it, they reported it, and they read it to answer an inquisitive question. Now, if one reads the Bible with an inquisitiveness to know truth, God can do some very positive, real powerful things. Many who pick up the Bible are inquisitive as to what was in it. I was the night God saved me. I mean, I found a Bible in 1976 in the bottom of a box, and I sat down and I read it. That night, I read the entire Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John is a, I'm telling you, we're going to have some examples come out of the Gospel of John. It is a deep, deep book. It's not a shallow book, the Gospel of John, by any stretch of the imagination. But I read through that whole Gospel that night. And the only thing that kept going through my mind is God has a plan for your life. It hinges on having Jesus Christ in your life. So I invited the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and take over my life. I was inquisitive about that Bible when I spotted it there. I wanted to know what was in it. So I just looked up Titus and I looked up John and I read them both, read the entire book. Didn't interpret everything in there. I had no clue what was all in there, except it spoke to my heart through inquisitiveness. So inquisitiveness is a good first step to understanding the Bible. Now, the sixth way people read the Bible is they read it subjectively, subjectively. Many people read the Bible with a personal bias that is so subjective that they'll jump over passages that don't agree with their bias. I actually have some commentaries that are written by writers that have done that. I actually have commentaries in my library where the writer had a particular bias, so he would just jump over a text that contradicted what his position was. And many read the Bible to support their arguments. Well, that kind of reading uses Bible verses as proof texts for their present belief system. And that kind of reading is not really interested in objective truth. And it's not really interested in searching the scriptures to make proper changes so that our faith is solid and strong. This person reads the Bible with the notion, my mind's made up, don't confuse me with the facts. So I read my Bible and I find my verses that support my views. Now, a person who reads the Bible subjectively will not have a transformed mind and they will not grow. They'll just hunker down in whatever state they're in and they'll basically stay there stifled from growth because they're not having a mind that's growing and transformed. It's not really interested in the whole truth of God. It's just subjectively studying the Bible. 
But then the seventh way one may read the Bible is you can read the Bible and study the Bible hermeneutically, exegetically, and objectively. Now, I think that complete objectivity, when you put a Bible in your hands, probably doesn't exist because anybody who puts a Bible in their hands has some type of thinking about it. You have some type of bias that you have when you put the Bible in your hands. I mean, I was raised in a Baptist church. I'm going to later down the road tell you all the things I've had to change my thinking on in light of Scripture, and I've certainly been after truth ever since I came to know the Lord. I've been after truth. But I was in a Baptist church, so when I had a Bible in my hands, I'm coming from a Baptistic way of thinking with that Bible in my hands. And people who pick up a Bible in their hands and they're a Reformed church or in a Catholic church or whatever church they come out of, there's some type of bias they have when they pick up the Bible. But the goal that we have for picking up the Bible should not be to subjectively support my position. The goal should be to analyze the Word of God and analyze all factual technical data so that I can arrive at a true, accurate interpretation about what this text actually means. That's the goal. The goal is not to just stay in my rut of what I think I know, which I may or may not know, but the goal is to take that Bible in my hands and analyze it with the system that we're going to impart to you. You take all the necessary technical tools that you have and you look at a passage of scripture because your goal is, I want to know what this author meant here when God inspired him to write this. That's the goal of this. That's the goal of what we're doing. One may literally search a text and analyze it with the objective of, I want to understand precisely what God's Word is saying. And that's going to require concentration. It's going to require some skills. It's going to require some effort and some focus. And I never want to ever minimize the reading of the Bible. If you're reading the Bible in one of those other ways, I don't want to take that out of your hands. I want you to read the Bible. But I also think that we need to begin to realize, you know, we need to read with understanding. We need to read and understand things. Otherwise, we may never really know what a passage is actually saying. So reading is the first step to understanding the Bible, but it's not the only step to understanding the Bible. But that's basically how people read their Bibles. Well, we're way over time tonight. I want to thank you for coming out tonight. Good night. The Lord bless you.